Well, welcome everybody to Rise Church. So glad that you're with us today. My name is Aaron. I'm the senior pastor on behalf of my wife, Erica, and all of our staff and pastors. We're so glad that you're with us, especially here with us for the very first time. Hey, if you're a guest with us, I always invite our guests to come back uh, at least three times. Everybody say three times. Uh, here's why. I, honestly, I believe that for you to get a good experience and really get the full package of what Rise is, you got to come multiple times and hopefully uh, we can be your spiritual family. Um, we are starting a brand new series today called I Just Can't. And really one of the reasons that we're doing that is because I've noticed, you know, as a pastor, just looking out and talking to people and counseling, man, we're all really going through something. You know, the, the uniqueness of the last several years has really weighed on a lot of us. I mean, life was hard before. I think COVID shut the world down and then we had maybe the most wild thing that have ever happened in my lifetime, I know many of your lifetimes, where we had such a unique season of life, and it really caused a lot of us mentally to struggle. Um, a lot of us, more, more of us are dealing with depression. As statistics show we're all dealing with some level of anxiety. We're all stressed out in some ways, and so here's what I know. God doesn't want you to live like that. God has not designed you and I to live in a way that really feels stressed out and anxiety-riven, where you feel overwhelmed, and so because of that, me as a pastor, we sit down as a church, we're like, what do we got to say about that? God has something to say about what it's like to be a fully devoted follower of Christ. How do you deal with the days where you just say, I just can't? Because I bet to say that maybe this month, maybe this week, maybe on the way to church, maybe as you walked into service today with your kids screaming on your hip, you probably thought in your mind, I just can't. And so uh, we're going to talk about that today. We're going to be in Ecclesiastes chapter number two, Ecclesiastes chapter number two. And if you don't um, own a Bible or maybe you've never been in the Bible or don't know anything about it, um, it's a unique collection of books. So anytime you pick up a Bible, it's not a book, it's actually a collection of books. And in the Bible, it's kind of split in two main parts. You have the Old Testament and then you have the New Testament. And then in the Old Testament, kind of in the middle-ish part of the Old Testament, there's a book called Ecclesiastes. And um, traditionally, most scholars believe it was written by a man named Solomon. Um, there's some debate about that, but mo most people, I think, traditionally believe it was written by Solomon. And he, he was known to be the wisest and richest man who had ever lived. Now you ask, why would that be? Well, the Bible also tells a story where he sat down and God asked him a question. He has a conversation with God. And, and God asked him a question. He says, God, Solomon, what, what, do you, what would you like? like I'm going to give you anything that you want. Now, that's an interesting question if God were to ask you that. What would you say? Like, what would, you, what would you tell God you wanted? Maybe some of you would add a couple zeros to your bank account. Maybe some of you would say, hey, I need a, a new pair of shoes. If you're a sneakerhead, maybe you're in here and you're like, man, I could use that nice new car that I, my buddy just bought. Maybe it's a truck that's lifted. That's like the thing in San Antonio where you got to buy a big, loud truck. It's uh, lifted four inches. Um, I haven't gotten mine yet, so let me know how that feels. Um, maybe you want a new house. Maybe you're looking to add something. But, but Solomon asks for wisdom. Because he asked for wisdom, it impresses God so much that God gives him both wisdom and, and riches. He gives him both wisdom and, and blessing. And, and he pens this interesting story and this interesting scripture, this interesting book in Ecclesiastes to kind of give in, in, an insight to his life. Um, and it kind of sounds like he's toward the end of his life. It feels a little like he's giving um, a thought as he's looked back on all the things that he's accomplished and all the things that he was in the world. In verse 10, chapter 2, he says this. It says, I denied myself nothing my eyes desired. I refused my heart no pleasure. And my heart took delight in all my labor, and this was the reward for my toil. He says, yet, everybody say yet. It's an interesting, he goes, I look back on it, and even though I got all this stuff, when I surveyed all that my hands had done, and what I had told to achieve, everything was meaningless, a chasing after the wind. Nothing was gained under the sun. Now, the Hebrew word there would be havel. It was uh, interesting that, that they, uh, the, the word, honestly, the translation meaningless is not a very good translation. The better translation is more, it's an enigma. So it's this idea that like life seems to not work out the way that you thought it would work out. Anybody, can anybody testify to that uh, idea? Like he, 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 he likens it to, Hebrews used to think, and the way they, they think about it, they, they, they would liken it to a, a, um, 
like a puff of smoke. That if y'all ever seen smoke, you, you can see it. But when you, you ever try to grab smoke, what happens? You, you don't grab anything. You, you, you reach into it and it dissipates and it moves around. And it's, he even likens it like chasing after the wind. He said, all the things that I worked to and all the things that I did, it, it caused me nothing but trouble and made no sense. It was an enigma. And he says in verse 17, this is the statement for all of those that walked in here to saying, maybe you're in here right now. You feel like you just can't. This could be your last moment. This could be the moment where you said to God, you said, God, if I'm going to go to church today, but if this doesn't work, I, I don't know if I can move on. This is, this is the statement that would relate to you. Solomon would understand you. He says in verse 17, he says, so I hated life. This is Solomon who has everything. To those of us who think if we just had blank, my blank is different than your blank, but we all have a blank. If I just had some kids that would listen, come on, somebody. If I just had a husband that would pay attention to me, if I just had a wife that wouldn't talk out her neck when she was talking to me, if, if I just had a boss who understood what I'm trying to say. Come on, y'all. y'all. We all have a blank. And Solomon shows us it doesn't matter what your blank is because he had everything and he hated life. He said, but the work that is done under the sun was grievous to me. All of it was meaningless, a chasing after the wind of Havel. And he says this to set us up for the idea that it makes me feel like if he was standing right now here with us, he would say, man, I feel like I just can't any longer. You're taking notes. The title of my message today is how to keep going when you just can't. How to keep going when you just can't. Let's pray. Father, we thank you today, Lord. I thank you that, Lord, I'm always, truthfully, I'm always humbled um, every time I get to preach your word. There's nothing more amazing than to uh, be in your presence on a Sunday morning. I, 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 um, I pray, God, that your wisdom would come through, that I would get out of the way, that your name would be glorified, that there would be a special moment for all of us, God. I, I'm, I'm, I'm believing there's people in here that, that, that are at the end of their rope. There's people in here who are overwhelmed, anxiety-ridden, depressed. They're, they're full of stress and worry. And, and I pray, God, that this series... Would, would be a helpful lifeline from you, their Father, their Heavenly Father, and that, God, we would, we would not give up. We would take a step in Jesus' name. Everybody said, Amen. Amen. Um, have any of you ever built something up in your mind and it didn't work out? I, I'm, I live my life like that. I'm an Enneagram 7, so if you know anything about the Enneagram or personality profiles, I'm a, I'm a 7, which means this. One of, my, one of my characteristics of a 7 profile is that I, nothing, my expectations are at the max of everything. So, for instance, if I'm going to a party, it's going to be the best party ever. If I'm going to go eat at a dinner and have, like, a restaurant moment, it's not going to be a normal dinner. It's going to be the best dinner Ever. If I'm going to go to on a trip, I'm going to travel, and I'm going to go to the beach, it's not going to be a normal beach. Come on, y'all. What kind of beach is it going to be? It's going to be the best beach ever. It is. It's just going to be. And what I found is, is that every time I go and do those things, it's never the best whatever. Uh, my expectations are never, if ever, rarely met. 
uh, I recently got into something unique called, um, I don't know if you guys are like this. I'm a little bit of a foodie, so I like to cook. I cook in our home, and, uh, and so I, I like to be the, the chef. That's what I call myself. So I, I bake and I cook, and I do a bunch of things for my family. My favorite thing is to feed my kids and my wife. It's my favorite thing, and their favorite thing is to eat things that I feed them. And so uh, we're, in a good, we're in a good spot. But my, um, my, uh, I, I recently got a gift for my birthday. I got an outdoor pizza oven. It's amazing. Like, I got an outdoor pizza oven. And if you like pizza, it's the best way to make pizza. And so I started learning how to make pizza in this outdoor pizza oven. And let me just tell you, I'm just going to be honest. Can I just be honest? I'm really good at making pizza. I'm just telling you, I was really good. And, uh, and so I make some really good pizza. It'll take me some time to figure it out, but I figured it out. And I'm telling you, I make some really good pizza. So I'm making pizza. And what I'll normally do is, you know, sometimes I'll have some people over or whatever. We'll make some pizza. And so the, the, the rule is, is that, hey, well, we got the dough, we got the sauce, we got the cheese, but you bring over whatever toppings you want to make. It's your, your world, it's your pizza. I said, I said, but I only have one rule. My one rule is you cannot bring onions. Sorry. It's just, it's, we don't believe in onions. I don't think onions are of God. I think onions are abomination. Onions are the terrible thing. <laughs> Thing of the world. Do not bring onions in my house. That's the quickest way for you to be uninvited. So they, uh, they, they come over and you know, we'll make their pizzas. Well, one time um, we, we invite these people over. And I gave them the rules and let them know what's going to happen. And so they come over and sure enough, they decided in their minds that they wanted to bring over you guessed it, an onion. So they walk in with it, and I said, I don't feel like I was unclear with the rules the, about you coming over to my house, you know? And they're like, well, pastor. I said, I'm not a pastor right now. I'm Aaron. Like, you <laughs> broke the rules, you know? And so, um, and my wife's like, be nice. It's okay. And I'm like, okay. So I find, fine, 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 okay. So I'm making pizzas all night. I mean, I'm telling you what, I'm in there. It's amazing. And at the end, and they, they say, well, can you make our pizza now? And I said, fine. You know, I was being kind. And so I made the pizza with the onions. Because once you make onion pizza, you, everything else is just ruined. So I just made sure everything else was done first and put the onions in there. I made the pizza and everything was fine. And they ate it. And it was, and it was, it was, it honestly wasn't that big of a deal. I didn't eat it and they were fine and it ruined the smell in the house, but that's okay. Everything goes, I'm not bitter about it. Take it easy. So, um, so they leave, and then the next day, um, I, I'm a little, uh, I like leftover, certain things that are leftovers that are really good. So like, you know, spaghetti seems like better uh, the next night, I think, a little bit, because it feels like the sauces have gotten all together, you know? And, but I really believe pizza's better than the next day. And so I, I had some pizza. We make a ton of it, so we always have leftover, because I have like a ton of kids, and so they, it's easy for them to make, and you throw it in the, in the oven or whatever. So um, I, I, I woke up that morning, and the next day, and I'm like going to work, and I'm thinking, I craved the pizza that I had made. I'm like, oh man, I'm going to make some pizza when I get home, some leftover pizza. So all day I'm thinking about this pizza that I was going to have towards the end. And have you ever done that? Have you ever thought about some type of food where you're in your, it's it, you, some of you right now, you're like, you know what we're going to do after this church? We're going to get some pizza. And so you're just already tasting it in your mouth. And I'm thinking about it, and I'm thinking about it all day long. So I get home, I take out my pizza, and I'm super excited. I take out this pizza, and I wasn't paying attention to what I was grabbing. I take out some pizza, I throw it in my toaster oven. It's toasting, it's starting to make some smells. It's starting to fill the house. I'm like, this is going to be so good. And so I finally sit down. All the kids are eating. I'm ready to go. I sit down. I'm looking at my pizza. It's hot and tasty. I pick it up. I take it, I put it in my mouth, and I take a big bite, and I bit into something that is, is unmistakable when you bite into an onion. It's the crunch. Y'all know what I'm talking about? It's the white crunch and the juice shoots into your mouth. It's, it's the worst taste in the world. I bit into it and I almost threw up in my mouth at the table. I was like, oh, like that. And because I'm a Christian and I love Jesus and I'm a pastor, 
I got so upset. I literally screamed. I spit it out in my plate. I grabbed the pizza. I like threw it towards the sink. I threw a fit, y'all. Like I threw an absolute fit. I lost it because I remember thinking when I bit into that piece of pizza, this is what Solomon must have felt like when he said, I hated life. Because at that moment, I hated life. It was the worst. Now, am I being dramatic? You're not supposed to answer. Smidgen, dramatic, and and uh, my wife, my I just remember my wife, and my kids just kind of going, "What's wrong with you?" Like, and uh, I couldn't, I couldn't get over it. But, but I remember in that moment, you know, not feeling like again things didn't didn't matter. But some of you, some of you in here, uh, truly do re- relate to Solomon. You know, some of us in here have, have had so many issues in life and things did not line up the way that you thought. And, and when Solomon said, I hated life, that resonated with you. Because maybe that's where you are now, or maybe that's where you were, or maybe that's where you might be. It's a human condition that you and I will go through this life and things will not make sense. You'll do the right thing and the, the wrong thing will happen. Or maybe you'll do the wrong thing and the right thing will happen. And you're like, what is going on? Right. And, and you'll see suffering and injustice and hurting people and you'll, you'll, you, it's easy. Isn't it easy to get overwhelmed with life today? And you can relate to Solomon so well in so many parts of what he, he meant. He said, I hated life in chapter two, but in verse one, he, he starts off, he even tells you, here's why he was frustrated. Maybe you're in here and you're frustrated where he says, life is useless, all useless. You spend your life working. Come on. How many, has anybody said this recently? You spend your days working and working and working and working. And what do you have to show for it? Come on, how many of y'all felt like that recently? The world just stays the same. I did everything I should. I did everything right. I worked hard. And this is all I got to show for it. I mean, maybe you got a doctor report you didn't see coming. Maybe you live your healthiest. You're the, have you ever seen that happen? Where somebody's so super healthy, they live their life in health and I have a friend recently who got diagnosed with cancer. She's like the most healthy person I've ever met in my entire life. You're telling me I didn't look up to heaven and go, you kidding me, God? I felt frustrated. Maybe you're you're looking at your kids and you're like, like, what what is going on? The other day, my my wife left for a few days, so I had to do the laundry. (laughs) Have you ever done laundry for five children? I've got the laundry done. Literally, I finished the laundry. And the next morning, the laundry was full again. I'm like, what is going on? I was like frustrated. Maybe you go to work early, you stay late, and the the dude who's lazy and has a bad attitude got the promotion. Come on, this stuff happens all the time. Don't tell me you're not frustrated with your boss right now. And you just can't seem to get over it. Maybe, maybe you're, you're tired. Solomon says something in Ecclesiastes chapter 1. He says, the sun still rises. And he goes, he tells this poem. This is poetic feelings that are being expressed. He's saying, the wind blows round and round back again. Every river flows into the sea, and then the water returns where the rivers began. And it starts all over again. And everything leads to, what does he say? It leads to what? It leads to weariness. He goes, I'm just tired. So tired, I can't even put words to it. Has anybody said that this week? You got home from work and you're like, I'm so tired. I can't even tell you how tired I am. I'm so tired. I'm, I, I, 
I'm tired from being tired. You gone on a vacation, you came back, they said, how was the vacation? You said, I'm tired. I need another vacation from the vacation that I just took. And you're exhausted. Business Week did a study of millions of people, and they asked them one question, just one question. How are you doing? And the number one response, you know what it was? You know it. Tired. They, 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 they determined and declared us the decade of fatigue. That you wake up Monday and then Tuesday and then Wednesday and then Thursday and then Friday. And then before you know it, Monday's back again. Does anybody ever, does anybody ever wake up on Monday and go like, I felt like I just got out of this week. And then you're, you're too tired to be too tired. And you're just exhausted. Or maybe, maybe you're unfulfilled like Ecclesiastes 1. He says, no matter how much we see, we're never satisfied. No matter how much we hear, we're not content. History merely repeats itself. Maybe that's you today. And maybe you weren't unfulfilled or maybe, or, or maybe you're not tired or maybe you're not, you know, you're, you, you, you're not frustrated. Maybe you're not satisfied. Maybe your theme song is the you know, famous Rolling Stones. I can't get no. What is that last one? Come on, y'all say it. I thought you all listen to worship music and stuff. And you, 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 you struggle with what you have. You struggle with what you have. You struggle with what you have because you're looking at what you could have. Isn't it true that you make, it's funny, you probably make more money now than you have in your entire life. And yet, you don't feel like it. If we would rewind back to your 20-year-old self, 18-year-old self, 15-year-old self, and you told your 18-year-old self how much money you make right now, you would probably go, I must be so happy. And content, I lack nothing. You must be living the good life, Aaron. But we don't feel that way. Because we're, we're never satisfied, Solomon says. So what do you do? If that's you in here, and maybe one of those three things struck a chord with you, how do you, how do you get out of feeling like you just can't? feeling overwhelmed, feeling stressed out, feeling anxiety-ridden, feeling like, man, if I don't do something, I'm not going to make it. Paul gives us a first step today in 2 Corinthians. So we're in the Old Testament. Let's, let's go to the New Testament. The New Testament, Paul's writing to the church at Corinth. He's writing to you and I, to me. We're, he's writing a letter. He's writing to the church who should know better and followers of Jesus. He's saying, look, here's how we look at things. Here's how we look at life when you're stressed out. Now, Paul, he's, he's, got, he's got something to say. He's earned the right to give us advice. You want to know why? Paul, Paul is, is, is a former uh, 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 Pharisee. He's a, he's a former not really follower of Jesus. He's a follower of, of God, but he, he, he doesn't realize that Jesus, the manifestation of God, is right in front of him. And he doesn't realize that what's happening is, 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 is all around him. And, and he, he has this moment with, with Jesus on the road to Damascus and, and has a conversion moment. So he becomes a follower of Jesus, starts teaching and planting churches. And in the process, his life gets worse. I mean... 
That doesn't sell any books. I've never read a book that says, follow Jesus, your life will get worse. But it tends to happen. I mean, you, you see, most of the followers of Jesus who really followed God, they died pretty terrible. And what's worse, they lived pretty harsh. I mean, I, I just give an example, Paul. The, the 39 lashes that Jesus got as a torture before he went to the cross to die for you and for me, Paul got that five times. I mean, it was designed to get you right to where you were about to die five times, let alone the shipwrecks and the snake bites and the, the stonings and all the. I mean, I, I, the Paul went through just nonstop problems. And you would think Paul has something to say about the God that he serves because he's like, this doesn't make sense to American Christianity because I don't understand what's happening. I thought when I give my life to Jesus and I thought when I pray and I thought when I do the right things and I thought I put my Christian token into God who is the divine vending machine, he's supposed to give me my blessing back. And Paul writes this sort of strategy on how to deal with life when you feel like you just can't. He says, therefore, we don't lose heart. I'm like, Paul, how are you going to start off like that? You ain't telling the truth. I mean, look what happened to you. In prison and persecuted for just believing Jesus. I, I don't. How do we not lose heart? He said, though. Outwardly, it feels pretty bad. We're wasting away. Outwardly, man, we're going through some stuff. We've got some issues. We've got some problems. I like that Paul doesn't recognize. He doesn't like, hey, don't just pretend like you don't have anything going on. No. The truth is you have some real problems. Isn't that true? You've got some real issues. You have a lot of stuff you're dealing with. A lot of stuff you're processing. He says, even though what you see might be tough going on on the outside. Inwardly, we're being renewed day by day. He says in 17, he said, for our light and momentary troubles. I like that. He says, they're light and they're momentary troubles. The stuff you're going through right now, I know you think it's going to kill you, but it's achieving for us an eternal glory. He says an eternal glory, an eternal way of living that outweighs. It's interesting. He used that word. Everybody say it. Outweighs. Say it. Yeah, he says, he says, outweighs them all. He says, so the, the key is, the secret is, is solving our problems is not eliminating them. It's having something bigger than your problem. You got to have something that weighs more. Yeah. You got to have something that like, you got to see it. He, it's almost like he's saying your perspective has got to be right. Like you got to see God bigger than the problem that you're looking at. Now, I know you've heard that before, but, but that's hard to do when you're looking at your problem square in the face and you can't see God, right? He said perspective is powerful, though, because if you don't see it right, what's the point of praying to a God if he ain't big enough to handle your problem? Can we be real? So he says, don't waste time following a God who's not big enough to fix your problem because you're just wasting your time. You got to see God right. Perspective is, is powerful. I'll read you a letter on perspective. It's kind of a funny thing. He says, Dear Dad, this is a letter from a son, teenage son to his father. It's with great regret and sorrow that I'm writing you today. I had to elope with my new girlfriend because I wanted to avoid a scene with you and mom. I've been finding real passion with my new girlfriend, Stacy, and she's, she's just so nice. 
However, I knew you would not approve of her because of her piercings, tattoos, and tight motorcycle clothing. Although she is much older than me, we're going to be just fine. But it's not only the passion, Dad. She's pregnant. Stacy said that we will be very happy. She owns a trailer in the woods and has a stack of firewood for the whole winter. We share a dream of having many more children. Honestly, Stacy's opened my eyes to the fact that marijuana really doesn't hurt anybody. We'll be growing it for ourselves and trading with other people in the commune we plan to live in. Don't worry, Dad, I'm 15, and I know how to take care of myself. Someday, I'm sure I'll be back to visit so you can get to know your many, many grandchildren. I love you and Mom, Joshua. P.S. Dad, none of this above is true. I'm over at Jason's house right now. I just wanted to remind you that there are worse things in life than the report card that's on the kitchen table. <laughs> Call when it's safe to come home. I mean, how many of y'all know perspective is powerful? I mean, having the proper perspective on life, I mean, that was pretty risky, but that, I felt like it worked. But I think, I think at the end of the day, we're all learning perspective is powerful. I was watching a TED Talk. If you don't know what a TED Talk is, it's a, a, like a short little 15, 20-minute uh, teaching you know, that people, experts will teach on things. There was a Stanford professor, and she got up, and she, she's an expert in anxiety and depression. And she, she said um, the, 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 the thesis of her, of her talk was that she wanted to provide the most effective way to deal with anxiety and depression and stress and worry. And she said this statement. This has nine million, over 9 million views, one of the most watched TED Talk um, of its kind. And her significant statement was this. She said, the most significant way to reduce stress and being overwhelmed is how we look at it. It's our perspective. So Paul echoes this in the New Testament in 2 Corinthians. He says, he says if, so here's what we do. Here's how we, here's how we deal with our stress. Here's how we deal with when we feel like we can't. So we fix our eyes. What are we doing? How do you fix your eyes? What does that mean? Perspective. He says, not on what is seen, but on what is unseen for what is un, for what is seen is temporary. And what is unseen is eternal. Seen is temporary. Unseen is eternal. And if you're going to make it, and if you're not going to give up, because if you're in here and you feel like you just can't, and if you're going to feel like you just can, you're going to have to focus on the eternal. So I'm going to give you three as we end today, as we close, I'm going to give you three quick ways to keep your focus, to keep your perspective on the eternal and figuring out, these are really three eternal focuses to keep going when you can't. Number one is this, you need to pray. Now, I know to you, you're like, well, of course you should say that. You're a pastor. This is a church. Why shouldn't you not say prayer? I've tried that, been there, done that. It don't work. And it could be that you see prayer through American eyes and not the original intent of what prayer was designed to be. We, we look at prayer in, in our 21st century you know, Western eyes as a, kind of a, an exchange of goods. I'm going to tell you my problems. God, I'm going to give you my problems. I'm going to tell you my problems. And in return, this is how this relationship works. This is a, we're in a transactional relationship. And so because this, this, this connection you and I have is transactional, as I give you my issues, you give me my, my solutions. And prayer was never designed like that. Prayer is not the passing of information as the American church would teach. Prayer is, is, is not, it, it, is, it, is a, is a, it is a New Testament thought. And I'll read it to you in Colossians chapter 3. He says, since then, this is another letter from Paul to the, a church at Colossae. He says, since then you've been raised with Christ, set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. He said, you have to set your minds 
on things above, not on earthly things. He, what is he saying? He's echoing his first letter. He's saying, you have to learn to not be focused on what's just temporal or what you can see. You have to focus on the eternal. You have to get your perspective right and set your minds. Prayer is setting your minds. Prayer is the process of making your world smaller and making your God bigger. And that is a daily discipline that doesn't just happen overnight. Every day I got to choose to believe in the God that I serve. And I'm the pastor at this church. Every day you got to rededicate your life to Christ. Every day you got to get back up and say, today I don't live for me. Today I live for you, God. Today I got to remind myself, you are bigger than the issue that I'm dealing with. Because if you weren't, I wouldn't be talking to you. But that doesn't happen one time. That happens every day. So prayer is not a passing of information. By the way, God knows everything. If he didn't, he wouldn't be God. He's not wondering what's going on with you. He's never asked you, hey, how's it going? You ever thought about that? If you sat in front of God, he wouldn't be going, you know, I was just thinking about you. How's it going? How are you doing? He already knows. So if you look at prayer like a passing of information, it would literally be wasting your time and God's. Your moment of prayer is your ability to go, God, I have to remind me of who you are. You're not confused on who you are. Sometimes because I'm a human, I forget how good you really are. Sometimes I'm a human, I forget what you did before. Sometimes because I'm a human, I forget how big you really are. Sometimes because I'm a human, I forget that my problems pale in comparison to you. I got to remind myself that you're a good God. I got to remind myself that you love me. I got to remind myself that you're for me. I got to remind myself that you're bigger. I got to remind myself. Come on, am I talking to anybody in here? I got to remind myself that you are not, I'm not alone. I got to remind myself that God, you've always saw me and see me now you see my tears and you reserve them in a vial. You know every hair on my head. You were made me. You created me. You gave me a future. You gave me a past. You gave me a hope. You gave me a spirit. I'm not alone. I'm going to make it. And when I feel like I can't, I'm going to go to you to remind me that I can. It doesn't always have bad news. It doesn't always change my problem. I mean, I, gosh, I wish I could write that book. I think I'd sell a lot of them. Pray, and all your problems will go away. It doesn't work like that. Prayer doesn't always solve your problem, but it, it always solves you if you let it. It always changes us. It doesn't always change what's going on. But I've noticed... The more I get connected to God in those moments, that thing that was bothering me don't seem so big anymore. I still got to deal with it. But I got a God who's going to be on my side to help me do that. David was like that in the Psalms, you know? Have you ever read the book of Psalms? It's, um, it's written by King David, the David, like David and Goliath David. And um, he seems kind of, it, it's a really like schizophrenic book. It's odd. Because the, 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 in, the, in the same verse, okay, the same verse, he starts off panicked, like real panicky. Like he's a panicky prayer. Like it makes me so feel so good because I'm a panicky prayer. Like something goes wrong, I'm really good about going to God, but I don't go to God in the right way. I'm like, God, oh my gosh, this is it. 
This is how my story ends. You brought me all the way to here just to leave me and let me die here? Does anybody pray that with me? Like, is anybody else here real about their, mom, their moments with God? Y'all look up to God in the heaven. I'm like, I'm a pastor. Remember I work for you? Like, I think that, like, should help me in some way, you know? Like, I'm, like, thinking, hey, since I'm a pastor, maybe you can help me just a little bit more. I mean, I don't need a lot more, but just, like, a little bit more. And God reminds me regularly, like, you ain't nobody. Like, <laughs> I'm like, God. And I get panicky in my prayers. I'm like, this is it. This is it. You know, it's just like a, you know, I got wrong order or, you know, flat tire or something, you know. And, um, and David starts out like that. Like, there's guy, there is an army ready to kill me, and you don't care, God. And then at the end of the verse, the same verse, but God, like, you, you, you the man. And, like, it ain't going to be no nothing. I hope they come. Let them come. Send twice. Send them twice. Send two armies. God's got this. And I'm like, David, which one are you, homie? Make a decision. Right? And what I think if David was sitting in front of me, I think he'd say, no, I'm both. And so are you. Because you're human. And the process of prayer is not me telling God what's wrong and what's happening. The process of prayer is me getting my, setting my mind right. I got to set my mind right. That I start off panicky, but then I, I end hopeful. I end with perspective. Number two is um, we, we need to serve. John 6, 27 says, do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life. This is Jesus speaking. God wants us to be a part of something bigger than ourselves. Um, the best thing that you can do for your life is learn how to serve others. It really is. Um, we have volunteers at our church that serve people every weekend for you to come and sit and attend and be a part of. If you're volunteering here, just raise your hand. I just want, like you put deodorant on, you're proud to serve at this church. Come on, raise your hand. Look all around. Look, everybody raise your hand. Raise, look, come on, come on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so you serve. Yeah, give it up. Give it up. Give it up. Give it up. Yeah. And so you serve at this church not because I'm a great pastor or this is an impervable church or this would do so many great things right. Like, no, you serve at this church because you recognize, man, that is what I do. Because Christ came to serve, not to be served. It's like part of the plan. You signed up for, on the team, and this is how we do it here. And, and when you do that, it, it does two things. Two, serving does two things. Number one, it helps others. When you serve and you take a chance to serve, you're getting out of you and into others. So yesterday, I, can I have a proud pastor moment? Will you let me have a, a proud pastor moment of our church? We, we all came... Um, yesterday and did what we call our annual serve day where we get everybody in the church and we go and serve multiple projects all throughout the city. And uh, I have a picture of our, 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 of our church and it was really cool to see all of our teams come. Isn't that awesome? Like, isn't that amazing? We had 200 people show up and, um, to serve at our church. And, uh, and what we did was we didn't have church. There was no worship. There was no sermon. There was no kids ministry. You know what we did? We didn't have church. We went, and we were the church. We, we be church because that's what we're called to do. So let, let me celebrate what we were able to do. Yesterday, we had eight service projects. We helped, over, we helped provide over 28,672 meals. 
We served over 200 first responders in our local community. We put together 300 veterans kits for people who were veterans and served our, our armed forces and served in our world, protected us. We fed dozens of homeless downtown. We went downtown and served downtown homeless. We, we created 568 boxes, of children, uh, boxes at Children's Hunger Fund. We went and we went and we went and we went and we served and we served and we served. And then when we were done serving, we went and served again. And we're back here serving at the local church. Why are we doing that? Because serving always helps others. But you know what the funny thing about it is? You want to know the, the, the secret? You know the second day thing it does? It helps you. That's the, that's, the, that's the hidden secret that we never find out until you do it. I've said this before. Church is the worst place to come get entertained because that's not what we're here for. Like, I'm not here. There's people who can tell better jokes. There's, there's places you can probably get some good music. There's some places you can get your kids can probably get watched. Like, there's other places to get entertained. Don't come here to have church. You need to come here to be church. And, and when you serve, it doesn't just help others, it helps you. Do you know statistics say that if you serve, people who serve in the church, the local church, need less counseling, they need less financial help, and they, need less prob- they have less problems in their life. Did you know that? That's not the Bible. That's statistics from a research group. You don't want to know why? Because they're not focused on them. They're not wondering, why me? They're too focused on helping someone who's hurting. So, of course, it helps you because it gets your perspective off you and on something that means something that is eternal. Because we get to serve. So, you want to help your pastor? You should start serving. That's all that statistic told me. Because the more you serve, sounds like the better you'll be. I'll give you a practical step. Next steps is coming up on September 17th. If you've never served in this church and you want to get on a step. So our hundreds of volunteers who come in, they've all been a part of our next steps class. It's an easy class that happens on Saturday morning. You should, you should be the first one to sign up. You should run somebody over to go and actually be a part of that class. There should be something. I teach part of it. Pastor Jason teaches part of it. Like, you need to be a part of it. We feed you there. We take care of things for your kids. It's like amazing. We do everything we can to make sure it's easy for you to take a next step in our next steps class. So you need to be in there. So that's a QR code. So some of you should right now be taking out your phone and pointing your camera at it and then pushing the little link that pops up and then putting your name in it and then signing up and hitting complete and then let us take it from the rest. Or if you don't want to do that, just walk over to our information table and say, I don't want to do any of that stuff with the technology. Can you just sign me up? And we'll sign you up and we'll make sure you have all the information because you shouldn't just come to church. You should be the church. Number three is this and I'm done. Third focus we need to have, third perspective, you need to be a giver. They share freely, Psalms chapter 112. They share freely and they give generously to those in need. Their good deeds will be remembered forever. They will influence, they will have influence and honor. Two areas to be generous in your life is with your church. By the way, you should serve and give at your local church. If you're not giving at the local church because you feel for whatever reason, you need to find a church you can't give at. The kingdom of God is the best investment you'll ever make in your life, which, by the way, God gave you every dime you have. And he asked for just a little bit back. And I love people who give because they always remind me, they always remind me of where really where their heart is because it lets people know that even though they have money, money doesn't have them. 
And I don't know if you've noticed this, but money's, money's real funny. Money will make you weird. And if you're not careful, if you don't get it out of you, it'll pollute your heart in the worst possible ways. I've never asked people to give at this church, by the way, ever in the history of our church. We, we don't do that. Even in offering time, we don't ask you to give. We just provide the space. We tell you, ask God what you should give and listen to him. So this is not a give to your church ploy. It, it, we don't, we don't, we're not taking a second offering. It's not, it's not coming. This is a, if you want to keep going, we're talking about perspectives here. You gotta be a giver. Second way you could do that is in your world. On your seat, there is a, um, there is a, a little blue card. It's called a random act of kindness card. And um, I want you all to take it up, pick it up, pick it up, pick it up. If you got it, pick it up, pick it up, pick it up. Will you do me a favor? This has nothing to do with the church. Will you do me a favor? Today, I want you, this week, to find a place and an opportunity to bless someone. Could be a meal, and you put this card down to say, you know what? God loves you, and so do we. I just want to, I want to bless you in the name of Jesus. And let you be blessed. Maybe you're in a Starbucks line, and you can bless that person and say, hey, give them this card when they get their free coffee. Maybe you're, you're out and you see somebody, a single mom at a grocery store. You want, you want to be the real hands and feet of Jesus? You bless a mom who's struggling to pay for something. You bless someone. You go be somebody. You go be the church. You go be Jesus to somebody this week. Go be a giver. Watch your life change when you give. And we want to give you that opportunity to maybe make a, a difference. Worldly people use their temporary things for other temporary things. Godly people, they use their temporary things for eternal things. This is a way to be eternal. And watch what God does in your life. My prayer for you today, if, you're, if you feel like you just can't keep going, I pray by the power of the Holy Spirit that you keep going. You come back next week. We'll continue the series. Let's pray. Father, we love you, God. I thank you that today, Lord, you've spoken something to us. You've given us a hope and a future and a, a peace. Lord, there's, there's, there's hope in Jesus, and I pray that, God, we would continue to keep going, that we would pray, we would serve, we would give. God, give us those eternal focuses in you.